the epistle for this 24th Sunday after Pentecost, taken from the sixth Sunday after Epiphany. The epistle is from St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Brethren, we give thanks to God for you all, making a remembrance of you in our prayers without ceasing, being mindful of the work of your faith and labor and charity, and of the enduring of the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ before God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved of God, your election. For our gospel has not been unto you in word only, but in power also, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much fullness, as you know what manner of men we have been among you for your sakes. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, receiving the word in much tribulation, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were made a pattern to all that believe in Macedonia and in Achaia. For from you was spread abroad the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith, which is towards God, towards God is gone forth, so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves relate of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised up from the dead, Jesus, who has delivered us from the wrath to come. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 13th chapter of the gospel of St. Matthew. At that time, Jesus spoke this parable to the multitudes. The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which is the least indeed of all seeds. But when it is grown up, it is greater than all herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and dwell in the branches thereof. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like to leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until the whole was leavened. All these things Jesus spoke in parables to the multitudes. And without parables he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden from the foundations of the world. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, I just read the gospel to you, and you had in this gospel two parables that our Lord gives, instructs the faithful with. And the chapter from which those parables are taken is, in fact, called uh, the chapter of parables. It's the 13th chapter of the gospel of St. Matthew, and there are seven parables in that chapter. And at the end of that chapter, you have what St. Matthew tells us, that, that our Lord not only preferred this method of teaching, of speaking in parables, but in fact, that's practically the only way in which he chose to teach the, the, the people. So parable, the use of parables is a very popular manner of instruction in the ancient times. And a parable is a comparison. Um, you take some two things and you place them side by side. And, and one of those things is a symbol of the other thing. So, so you have a symbol, then that's what you're talking about, and it's supposed to represent some other thing. And, and presenting the symbol, speaking about that symbol, helps you understand the thing represented by that symbol in the parable. So I think it's very important for us to understand the parables of our Lord if he teaches almost exclusively using parables. And if you want to understand the parables, you've got to understand the golden rule for interpreting parables. 
And the golden rule is this. In every parable, there is a main point of comparison. There's the, the symbol serves one major purpose. And when you've found that purpose of the symbol, then you've got the key to the parable and to grasping the meaning of the parable. But there's also secondary things that, that the symbol might represent, but which are not the main focus of the parable. And, and those things you, you must not take as, as the primary meaning or even any meaning at all. They may not have any meaning for instruction. Just to give you an example, we all know the parable of the ten virgins. Um, and the point of the parable of, of the ten virgins in, in Matthew 25 is for our Lord to indicate to us how you must remain in the state of grace. You must be vigilant. You must keep that flame of grace burning in your soul if you're to expect to make it to heaven. Whereas if you're consistently not in the state of grace, chances are you will not make it to heaven. That is the main point of comparison. These, these ten virgins who are keeping their lamps lit symbolize um, the a soul remaining in the state of grace, expecting the time when they will go to heaven. Whereas the virgins who do not keep their lamps lit are those who do not remain in the state of grace and do not make it to heaven. That's the main point. Anything else you may take from the parable may and could be wrong. I mean, like some people say, well, because there's ten virgins and five of them go to heaven and five of them don't, maybe we can conclude that half of of the human race goes to heaven and half does not go to heaven. Like, well, no, no, that's, that's not the main point of comparison. And so you can't draw that from the parable. You can't draw sort of a statistical analysis of how many people go to heaven and how many do not from the parable. So today we have two parables, one concerning the mustard seed and the other concerning the leaven. And as with all the parables, there's a main point of, of comparison that we have to grasp. So with the mustard seed, it is a representation, it is a symbol of the external growth of the Catholic Church. The mustard seed is very, it's a very tiny seed, it's very insignificant, but when you plant it into the ground and you water it, it becomes this massive tree, so, so large that even the birds of the air come and rest in it. That's the symbol, and it represents the growth of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church... Our Lord is making predictions about the Catholic Church. And he's saying the church is going to be very, very insignificant at first. It's just a tiny thing. It's just 12 apostles and 72 disciples. But from that, the very insignificant beginnings, it's going to grow and effectively become so large that, well, the members of the whole human race will rest in its branches. Um, there were just 12 fishermen, a few disciples. In less than a century, the church spread throughout the Roman Empire. In three centuries, it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And in seven centuries, the church had created a new civilization. And this was an extraordinary development that could never have been anticipated at the time that our Lord died. So, because the development of a tiny mustard seed is, is something that's very visible, we can watch it grow, and we can also watch the church grow. It's a very public thing. We're able to see um, through the course of history how the church has grown. That makes the mustard seed very appropriate 
for the comparison that, that our Lord is making. This comparison of the outward, the external extension of the kingdom of God. Meanwhile, the activity of the leaven inside the dough is something hidden. It's, it's an activity that you cannot see. You know that you, you put yeast, um, you put leaven yeast into, into the bread, and yeast is, is something that's microscopic. You can't even see it with the visible eye. Um, but you know it is the yeast that, in fact, is the agent inside the dough that's making the dough um, rise and making the bread rise so you would have this, this loaf of bread. But just a small amount of that yeast placed in the dough makes it rapidly rise as it's supposed to rise. And this fact that the yeast is invisible makes it appropriate as for a comparison of the invisible working of grace in our souls, how the Holy Ghost works in our souls to raise us up from our fallen condition, um, to make us spiritual, to make us live on the supernatural level. So our Lord wants to, in the second parable, indicate how grace works in our soul and causes us to, to raise up from our fallen condition and live on the supernatural plane. Grace elevates the whole of our being, even though it's hidden, and of itself it seems so quiet and so insignificant. So the parable of the mustard seed shows the visible extension of the kingdom of Christ, and the parable of the leaven shows us the invisible cause for the growth of that kingdom. Grace working in our souls. And what both of these parables clearly indicate to us is that if we want the kingdom of Christ to grow, then we have to nourish our faith. The ultimate cause for the growth of the kingdom of Christ is that invisible cause. It is grace. It is the working of the Holy Ghost in our souls. That is the ultimate source for the extension of the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ in this world. And please, we have to understand that that, that that grace which caused such an incredible spread of the church, such a miraculous spread of the church, still works today. It still works in 2020. It's just as efficacious today as it was at the time of our Lord. Grace has not lost its power, just as yeast has not lost its power. The yeast that our Lord was speaking about in his time Still works today. It, it raises the bread. So too, grace, the grace of the Holy Ghost working in our soul, it still is just as effective as it was in the time of our Lord. But if we want this life of Christ to grow in us, if we want that grace to be effective in us, there is a condition. And that is we have to do spiritual activities. If we do not do spiritual things, then we will not be raised up from our fallen condition. The kingdom of Christ will not be growing within us, and we will not be able to spread the kingdom of Christ around us. We have to nourish our understanding by studying our faith, by reading spiritual books, by reading doctrinal books, by listening to conferences, and so on. We must nourish our minds with the faith. We have to nourish our will by prayer and the sacraments, by meditation, by acts of virtue, 
And if we do these things, the results are guaranteed. Today's parables are the guarantees. It's wisdom itself that's speaking to us in these parables. The fulfillment of the prediction of our Lord is the guarantee. We have the proof in the development of the church. The entire history of the church is a guarantee that the faith works, that, that, the, that the grace of the Holy Ghost works. It's effective for transforming lives. And if someone says to me, Father, you know, the faith is just, it's just not bearing any fruits in my life. It's just not really doing much for me. I uh, don't know what's, what's wrong. I can only reply that it's not the fault of the faith. The faith still works. If it's not working for you, if it's somehow not raising you up, it's because it's not being employed. It's not being used. If the leaven is there, it will raise you up. If it's not there, it won't. So we must not complain that the faith is not doing thing in our, in our lives if we do not have sufficient faith, if, we, if we're not striving to live that faith as, as we should. You know, if someone was sitting in their car and, and, they, and, they, and they say to me, Father, my, my, my car's not, not going anywhere. Um, I would say, well, I mean, have, have you put the key in the ignition? Have you, have you turned, turned the ignition? Have, have you, you know, have you put, tried to put it in drive? I hear the car's running, but have you tried to put it in a drive? Uh, you make sure the parking brakes off, you know, um, and then, then the car will go. You have to engage it for the car to go. And it's the exact same thing with our faith. You know, there's, there's a spiritual author who comments on the life of the priest, and he effectively says that if a priest doesn't do at least four hours of spiritual activities a day, um, then he's more or less useless. He, he, he's not going to be able to do what he's supposed to do. And that's why the founders of religious congregations, they set for their members rules that involve a daily routine of spiritual activities. This is, this is what Archbishop Lefebvre did with the Society of St. Pius X. And, and our spiritual routine is not even intense, as intense as many because we're an active order. But we do have this spiritual routine that we're expected to, to follow every single day. Um, I mean, I'm, typically here in the chapel around five or a little bit after, a little bit before, in order to say matins and lauds, then we priests, we have prime at 6.30, we pray in common, then we have a 25-minute meditation, um, it's followed by, by mass, and that's, that's typically two to two and a half hours in the morning every day. Uh, towards those, those four hours, then we're expected to pray our rosary or at least one or two rosaries a day. Um, we're expected to do our spiritual reading. We're expected to do our scripture reading each day so that that leaven can be in us and, and make us grow in the faith so we can communicate it to you. Um, and and if, I, if I said to any one of you, you know, I've just got too much to do. As, as prior here in Watkins, there's just so much going on. I really need to cut down my spiritual routine. I think I'm just going to stop meditating every day. I'll just cut out that meditation. It's not really doing much for me. I think I'll cut that out. You would say to me, you would probably say to me, no, Father, please, please, you know, and please find the time to do your meditation. I think that's probably pretty important that you find the time to do a meditation. Um, or if I said, you know, I better stop going on retreats just takes a week out of my life every year. 
Um, I, I, I'm just going to stop going on retreats. I'll just go without them. I'll, I'll do maybe an hour of reading to substitute for that. You would probably say, no, Father. Father, I mean, yeah. Um, I, I think, I really think it's probably good for you to go on retreats. This is something that's been done for a long time. Priests have to go out on retreat every year. And, and you would say that because you would, you would realize what, what the priest said to me, <laughs> the priest said to me last week during my retreat. Um, he pretty much said to me, he said, Father, everything is on your shoulders. Everything depends upon you. If the, if the people are going to get anything, you have to be the one that, that provides that to them. Um, I'm saying to myself, well, no pressure there, you know. <laughs> I mean, um, so uh, it, it's just the reality that we all know that, that faith only comes from faith. Um, and, and there has to be some source, some real cause of spiritual growth. And that's only going to come from spiritual activities. You know that the holiness of the faithful depends on the holiness of the priest. And that's why you want to make sure that, that the priests are doing their spiritual activities. And you don't want them to be like, like priests that, you, that you've heard, perhaps heard of, and they just practically don't do anything spiritual. But if you believe this, you have to also apply it to yourselves. I'm not asking you to do four hours of spiritual activities a day, of course. I mean, that's not that correspond to your, to your state in life. It's not reasonable. But I am asking you to make the spiritual activities the main priority in your life and to always be looking for ways to make your life holier, to make that faith fruitful in your life. How many people say, you know, I just don't have time to do more than a daily rosary? And the, the reason why there's not time is, is because there, there's not either not the discipline to, to execute or there's not that belief there's not faith in the faith. There's not sufficient belief that the faith is transformative um, and that it is the most important thing. We, have, of course, have many priorities in this life, and the other priorities are important. I agree with that. But what I'm saying is we have to make the faith the most important priority. We do find time for the things that we want. We find time for Facebook. We find time for our computer games, for our movies. We find time for all these activities on the Internet. But often we don't have time to pray. We don't have time for spiritual reading. We, we don't have time to go on retreat. Because we don't find time. We don't believe it's sufficiently important. Sometimes I notice how the parents are very um, keen about their, their children attending daily Mass. It's a characteristic of our school. It's very rare. It's not typical for a society school that kids go to Mass every day. But they're not keen for themselves to go to Mass. They're not so interested in attending Mass themselves. And it's just not possible for the children to have a great enthusiasm for the Mass if the parents don't believe that the Mass is the most important thing. If they themselves don't make this effort to go to Mass from, from time to time. I'm not saying every day, but, but to communicate to the children that if the, if the children see that their own parents are enthusiastic about Mass, then they themselves will profit all the more from it. So, you know, at the end of the day, when it comes to time, we find time for what we believe is important. 
in this life. And we have to think of the leaven of the faith of Christ as the most important factor in making our life meaningful. But there's something else that, that goes even deeper, and this is the impact that we have around uh, the world uh, around us, that, that our debt to society, this call that our Lord gives to us to, to cause an effect in society through the faith that he gives us. And this is something I've, I've mentioned before and which probably we'll mention again is, is the fact that we must make sure that when we look out over society, our vision for the restoration of society is primarily based on our spiritual faith and not on politics. Politics are important. Engagement in, in the life of our country is important. But it's much more important that we see the solution is spiritual and is going to come from the faith much more than political activism. We, by the disposition of providence, we were born in the, in the second half of the 20th century, the 21st century, and we have a role to play for the building up of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not going to be able to do that unless we are holy. The number one thing that this world needs is holiness. One of the most shocking things to come out of this last election is that practically 60% of Coloradans think that a woman should be able to kill the child in her womb all the way up to term. Six out of ten people in this state believe that a woman who's three days away from delivering her child should be able to kill that child. And that's an incredible statement about the godlessness of our times. It's a shocking godlessness where there's, there's no sense of, of the fact that killing your own child is seriously wrong. And when we, when we look out for this, uh, the, this state of society, when we see God being mocked and society being destroyed, where child sacrifice is considered to be a pillar of our modern society, it should be clear to us um, that we're in a desperate need for the restoration of morals in our world. And we have to ask ourselves, where is this going to come from? Well, it might possibly come partially from political activism, but it's mainly going to come from holiness on the part of Catholics, from their being saints who go out and transform the world. That's going to be the main answer to the problems that our society is, is facing. There have to be Catholic families who are enthusiastic for the faith, who seek to live the faith as fully as possible. Those are the families who are going to be able to pass the faith on to their children, who are going to produce vocations in their family, who cause the faith to live on to the next generation and cause it to be spread because of their own holiness. And this is all the more important for traditional Catholics. You might know that, that when Archbishop Lefebvre, when he was called to Rome so many times, um, he would speak with the Pope. He, he would tell the Pope, he said, look, you're, you're practicing so many different experiments in the church. There's all these liturgical experiments. There's all these experiments in religious orders and so on. Let us do an experiment. I make a prediction. If you let us do the experiment of tradition, there will be good fruits. Give us freedom to do that experiment, and I guarantee you 
that there will be very good fruits. And so he made this prediction, and he asked for this because he knew that the leaven of tradition, the traditional means of sanctification, were the very same as our Lord established. That those traditional means of sanctification are just as efficacious today as they've always been. He knew that good fruits would necessarily be produced if only this leaven was implanted in souls. And this is the challenge that, that we have. You, my dear faithful, you are supposed to be proof of his prediction. You are meant to be that evidence that the traditional means of sanctification still work in the 21st century world. But you can't do that unless you're putting the faith into practice in your life. If you're not striving, not just to, to get that bare minimum, but to truly be holy, to live your faith with a great enthusiasm, with great discipline, with a great perseverance. So my dear faithful, you have to believe in the power that the faith has to transform your lives. You have to believe that what it can do in your life is much more important than what anything else can do. You have to want that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to penetrate you wholly and influence every aspect of your life. And if you have that belief, if you have faith in the faith, you, you're going to be very generous with our Lord. You're going to find time for nourishing your soul on a daily basis. And by that generosity that you have with him, he will exercise that sweet influence upon you. That influence will make you grow and produce fruits that will last for eternity, not only for yourself, but also for the society around us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.